This episode is brought to you by freedadcourse.com. You are always one conversation away from changing your life, and the power of hello is something that I subscribe to every single day, and I'm always saying hello to new people everywhere I go. Increasing your opportunity, increasing your connection, and getting access to the solutions to the problems that you are facing, whether you're on active duty or just beginning your veteran transition or even transitioning out for 20 years. On the other side of hello are the solutions that you're looking for. Again, head on over to freedadcourse.com. Get your five-episode audio course to create more connection, create more friendships, and get back to living the life that you're trying to design. Unpack a little bit what you see your role as a dad is to your boys. Um, my role I see is to uh, raise sons that are by far better men than I could ever be. Um, and it's a conversation I've already had with, with a kindergartner, right? Which the amount that he can understand obviously is pretty yeah. small, but I'm explaining to him, Hey buddy, you know, uh, what daddy, why do you want me to do that? Well, buddy, I'm, I'm trying to teach you to be a better man than me. Um, when you grow up, I want you to be a better man than me. And he literally just, no daddy, I don't want to be a better man than you. <laughs> and just like hugged me and started crying. I was like, buddy. Dory one, this is fire team Delta. Dad's coming home. Welcome to the Military Veteran Dad Podcast, where it is our mission to bring every dad home. I am your host, Ben Colloy. I'm a United States Marine veteran, husband, and a father. We will bring authentic conversations to inspire action in your life so we can close the gap between the dad you are today and the dad you want to be tomorrow. This is the Military Veteran Dad Podcast. Welcome back to episode 44 of the Military Veteran Dad Podcast. Before we get started, if you have received any value from this podcast, if you received one piece of information that has helped, I would extremely appreciate if you told a friend. That is the one way that you can help this podcast and honor what we're trying to do in here and also spread the message for other dads to be able to come home. There are dads out there right now in the military, either active or transitioned out, that are struggling. And if you know a struggling dad, that needs a friend, that needs a message, that needs hope, please, from the bottom of my heart, please share this podcast with them. That is how this movement will grow. That sharing with wet one friend could be the one episode that changes their life, that pivots them in a new direction. Next, I have been sick for the last week and with a sinus infection, and it's taught me one thing. As I'm just starting to recover today, I can't help but feel amazed of how much I love breathing. Not being able to breathe for a week and just pausing for a few minutes today and just breathing in and out has really made me appreciate the breath and how much it can be easily taken for granted when you can't breathe, like with a sinus infection. So oftentimes when we're overwhelmed, we don't necessarily know what to do. And today, because I was reflecting on breathing and appreciating it extremely much because I didn't have a clogged nose, that breathing is something that we often overlook as a tool to help us walk away from something, to de-escalate something. That deep breath in and deep breathing out helps us remove that emotion of what we're feeling. It's connected to meditation, but I'm not going to go into meditation. I'm just going to remind you today, when you need to pause, take that deep breath, breathe in and breathe out, and you will instantly feel a little bit better. Do it again. Do it as many times as you need to. That breath can put space between whatever you're feeling and whatever you may need to do, or whatever you want to do, or whatever maybe you don't want to do. 
But that breathing can do that one thing to put that one pause to get you to a place where you need to be versus where you maybe you are today. With today's episode with Adam, every dad is going to love this because Adam is a dad who absolutely loves being a dad. And it was actually one of the things he first said to me when I first met him. He's like, I can't wait to be on your podcast because I can get to talk about how much I love being a dad. Adam is a veteran and he is the, a partner of Active Duty Passive Income. It's a company that helps active duty and uh, veterans create real, use real estate to create a passive income to either grow a life of freedom or to just, like the, the name says, create a passive income to allow different things to happen. And their tools allow someone in the military to create an act, a passive income to allow a better transition, to create an asset of real estate to transition through the, the, with, um, with having that active duty, passive income. He also has two boys. And the stories we share about two boys and my kids are just so... It was just a really powerful episode. And I was preparing for this episode to be released. I was just reminded of how great this episode was. So without further ado, let's get started with Adam, because I know you're going to love this episode. Hello, Adam. Welcome to the show. Hey, how's it going? Thanks for uh, having me on. It is, it's crazy. I've, I've had a lot of crazy people on my podcast, not crazy in person, but crazy of how it's happened. Like that lunch table that we were sitting across randomly at the networking event at the Military Influencer Conference is the reason that we're here recording this episode and you're getting ready to share a story that hopefully will bring a, a couple dads home. More of those have been happening over and over. It's like that one, uh, I just interviewed a guy, Seth Castle. I found him because Google found his name with a children's book that he wrote for Why Dad's So Angry. And that was an episode that came to my attention just because Google put it in front of me. So I really appreciate you coming on the show. Let's start off with just going, telling a little bit about yourself and uh, a little bit what your family looks like right now. Uh, sounds great. So uh, my name is Adam Labar. Um, I, uh, my wife and I have two fantastic boys, uh, amazing boys. Uh, one just started kindergarten this year. Um, and the other one is uh, 10 months old. So we have a very hectic household. Um, they're four years apart and they love each other ridiculously. It's fantastic to watch them, uh, uh watch him play. My oldest son, uh, he'll run around the house with his swords and start fighting me with swords. And then all of a sudden go over to his little brother and be like, Oh, I love you, Roar. And just <laughs> give him kisses and then come back and start fighting me again, you know? Um, but yeah, we're a family of four thinking about uh, whether or not we want to become a family of five and, uh, increase the, uh, the tribe here. Are you going to pick up the pace? As far as uh, not whether you're going to wait another four years, <laughs> yeah, uh, we're if we do it, we're definitely not going to wait another four years. That's for sure. So, yeah, was I it a deployment was, or would that put you a gap or? No, it just uh, just life, just the way just, life worked out and uh, the way God decided to uh, uh, have it all work out. So, I like that. And my son just entered kindergarten, and he's the middle son, so he's had his his older sister in school now. How has it been for you with your son entering kindergarten on his own? Has he been, is he kind of a confident four-year-old or, or five-year-old? Is he uh, timid? So he's a little bit of both. Um, so when he's, around, uh, when he's around people he knows, he's super confident in himself, very excitable, very uh, – um, he speaks extremely well. He knows what he's talking about. Um, uh, and then when you get him around somebody he doesn't know, he's like, whoa, 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 I don't know. You know, he's, he's very uh, – you can almost see him be on guard. He like watches what they're doing. He kind of stares them up and down, kind of figuring out what's happening here. Um, uh, but for the most part, he, he's good. He puts himself out there. He has a good time. He, um, you know, we just had somebody over at the house today, actually, that we had no idea who they were. I mean, they came over to, to see our dogs and, um, 
he was at first a little bit shy and then all of a sudden he broke out of his shell completely it was it was awesome but something he's uh, he doesn't usually break out that quickly so i don't know if that's kindergarten helping him out you know being around more people or what but uh, uh he's he's a little bit of both i think it's a probably a little bit of both too because my son's very shy he's he's okay when he's comfortable but when he's not he's just super shy he's kind of the kid that won't say his name to a stranger when you, you know the person that you're trying to mm-hmm. introduce him to he just kind of hides behind your leg but something about kindergarten is almost like built up his confidence so like he can do things on his own and you just I can instantly see him growing up in these last this last months and school started for just how he carries himself how he figures things out or even how he's just coming home and he knows something now that he didn't previously like there's things that he learns but he does, mm-hmm. he takes them for granted that he learned them but you can notice that difference so it's a uh, especially when it's your first boy or it's my own, Dylan's my only boy and he's your oldest like there's just something about that first one especially when it's your son, as he's starting to take those first steps to be the, the man that you hope he is when he turns 18. And it's really kind of where you start to see all the work that you put in for the first five years start to grow some, oh, yeah. grow, grow a little bit. It's a bunch of seeds in the ground, even watering the heck out of them. And that kindergarten is really where they take roots in kindness and friendship and lots of good stuff. And it really, you know, since I have another boy, it really makes me think, um, all right, well, now that I'm seeing this in the oldest boy, is there something like if I want to re-engineer, uh, you know, can I, can I re-engineer the younger one to, can I plant a different seed that'll grow a different way? And it's kind of like my own little science experiment, right? So, I mean, raising kids is more than a science experiment anyways, because you never, yeah, you uh, never know no, what you're nobody doing. Nobody is perfect. You don't know what you're doing. You, you've kind of figured this out. Every day, you're, this is the first day you're uh, figuring it out. And even now with the second kid, um, you know, Facebook likes to remind us of where we were uh, years ago. So, oh, yeah. Um, it's reminding me every four, like every day, what it was like four years ago with our kid, because they're only nine days apart, four years and nine days apart. So I have uh, very good reminders of how all of it's going. I'm like, man, I don't remember doing that with him at that age. I should start doing that with this kid too. You know, you're trying now I'm like, you know, am I, am I slowing down? Am I behind? Like today I looked and we were feeding the feet of the baby, uh, not quite baby food, but just about baby food. And I was like, what am I doing? Like, like, give this kid some carrots and chicken. What is, what is wrong with me? You know, did I forget that he's able to eat this stuff? So, yeah, you know, it's just fun to, to see even in four years, how much I've forgotten and where, where we were. It's amazing how much you forget when you hit that reset button. I've Uh always said like, uh, you you think you're ready for a kid and then your wife's pregnant and you're like, and then your wife's like, what the heck did you do to me again? And then you're going through, what did I sign up for? How did I decide I want to go through this again? Then the baby comes out and you're like, how did I convince myself to start over again? We were just, we were perfect. We had no diapers. He could get dressed uh-huh. in the morning and then bam, Here the we are. button comes again. in. Yeah. It, it's amazing how easily you forget about that and only hold on to the highlight reel. Probably yeah. psychologically because that's how you get through the day is you uh, let no go of right? the, yeah. <laughs> the bad yeah. stuff. I like that. Uh, probably with your son, um, my, what I've noticed with Lillian, our youngest, is, uh, and it's a good example of how like just coaching in general works, is that coaching, you're trying to follow someone in front of you. And your kids often will catch up super quick because they have someone in front of them to copy. So whether you're trying to or not, it's unless your son's modifying the behaviors that you don't want, he's probably just going to keep copying his older brother as far as what's right and wrong. And, uh, and you have that good gap that your son's really starting to do things that are fun and exciting, not just boring. And so your 10 year month old is just going to just continue to try to keep up. Like that's what I noticed about Lillian is she's just constantly 
trying to keep up with her brother and sister. And she does things so much faster than they ever did compared to, my, to Sophia, my oldest. It's, it's crazy how all that works. Yeah. It's uh, and it's fun to watch because they want it. Like you just watching the interaction between them and the littlest one only 10 months, but he's like staring and trying to figure out, well, how do I do that? Right. And I'm just thinking that's, what's going to be happening when like the, the oldest Adam is climbing a tree and wanting to jump out of it. I'm going to see my littlest one over there going, I'm going to climb that tree too. And be like, whoa, 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 whoa. You know? And that, yeah. And then one day it's going to happen and you weren't looking. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But that's all part of growing up too. So one of my buddies, he's like, well, my first kid is, uh, you know, this really smart, really intellectual. The second kid, you know, uh, you kind of just rely on the oldest one to raise the youngest one, to be honest. It kind of is what it feels like, you know, like, (laughs) and especially at your age, you've got that nice age. When Dylan was born, Sophia, I think was like three and a half and she was okay. Maybe to like lay on the floor and entertain him. But Definitely when Sophie, Lillian came around, Sophia was able to be there. And and now if we had a fourth one, I, it, you do eventually get to a point where they kind of can help. You're not just completely outnumbered that they do help mm-hmm. raise each other. And assuming you've raised them all well, they've got a good background to not kill each other when they're not being brothers and sisters to each other. Yeah, that's the goal, right? Yeah, that's the goal is that they don't kill each other. And They will uh, always be some type of brother and sisters, but other times they'll play yeah. perfectly for an hour and you're like, uh-huh. why can't we play like this every day? <laughs> and other days it's like, bam, they're, they're cutthroating. Let's go rewind a little bit. Uh, what was it like for you to hold your first son? When, what, what was going through your head when you became a dad? So I'm going to back that up a tiny bit because when okay. I was maybe – and this sounds weird, but maybe when I was like 13, I was like, I cannot wait to be a dad. Um, I just wanted to be a dad. I just saw, like, I, I, I just loved kids. I loved being able to, uh, uh, I mean, my niece I was born a couple years after that, you know, so um, I was able to help out with my niece while I was still in high school and um, I absolutely loved it. And then, so I was always just waiting and waiting and waiting to find the right woman to, to get married, uh, get married to and have kids with. And, uh, um, you know, we didn't have kids until maybe it was five years after we got married. Um, uh, and then I was so excited beyond excited to even find out that we were pregnant. And, um, I say that, yeah, we, uh, what, that she was pregnant. Right. Um, yep. uh, so, you know, so to have the kid come out, I was so excited and I knew exactly what I wanted to do. I was really excited. Like, I mean, I was ready to cut the umbilical cord. I had all these stories of people telling me, you don't want to watch, you don't want to do this. You just, oh man, just sit down and let her do her thing. And absolutely not. Like I was so excited to be in there and be ready. And like, I took the baby right from the doctor's arms. We helped clip the uh, umbilical cord and I was unbelievably amazed. Uh, My wife was uh, amazing to watch work. Um, She it was like it was nothing for her. I mean, we were in and out, like in and out of the hospital. She showed up. She was already dilated really well, ready to go. Um, she was just a beast throughout the whole thing. So that made it that much easier to just go. All right, thanks, honey. I got this. You know, grab the baby, go do the you know wipe down with a towel. I was able to do the first bath. Like, I mean, um, and one thing I would recommend this is uh, uh, some people may not may or may not like it, but I highly recommend hiring a photographer. Um, it, uh, it was something that we weren't positive we wanted to do. Uh, they don't take pictures of anything they shouldn't be taking pictures of, right? So, I mean, some of that stuff is, is not, does yeah. not need to be taking pictures of, right? But I'm telling you the memories that we got, the things that we would have never seen, me giving the baby the first, like giving Adam his first bath and being back there. And, uh, you know, the, the looking at my wife's face, I mean, there's no, there was no feeling like it ever. Um, 
And, and honestly, I, I, I honestly wasn't even nervous. I wasn't scared. I was just excited. Like I knew that this is what I've wanted for so long. Um, and then I was finally a dad to a boy and I was, I'm, I was the last LeVar until now. Um, so if it wasn't, you know, for me having two boys, there would be no more LeVars. So it was uh, a weight off of my shoulders as well. So it was, it was an exciting, exciting time. I know that feeling. Until Dylan, I was the last Kaloi in a long lineage that I am aware of. I was the only one left to, to, to bear it on. Did you know you were having a son? Yeah, we found out, uh, I think, around the three or four month mark, somewhere around there. Yeah. Okay. There was. Uh, did you find out with the second one as well? So we did, uh, apparently, because it's a cool thing to do, the reveal party. The reveal party, so, yep. yeah. One of our friends said she wanted to do that for us. So we we're like, all right, yep, let's do it. So that's we ended up doing a reveal party. The, so we found out for the first two. And for the third one, we were, we already had one of everything. So there was really no financial benefit of knowing. So we were like, why not just wait and find out? And I realized something that very few dads, I think, put together. And maybe me, because I'm an emotional crier, it kind of was just more. But <laughs> when you find out separately, like in the ultrasound and the birth, when you separate those moments, you're somehow robbing and dividing that emotional impact. And when you find out together, it's almost a completely overwhelming. I, I cried for Lillian, but I really didn't cry for the first two because mm-hmm. you're finding out that it's a girl and then you're looking at your wife and then you realize how much you love her and that whole moment is just overwhelming. And, but in a good way. And it was something I really didn't realize that by separating it and finding out the sex, you financially gain something, but emotionally you take away from something in that moment when everything becomes real and this person that you're holding in your arms is now real. And that emotional um, impact really got me with Lillian when she came out. I remember that moment very vividly in my, in my head. And I remember the other two because the first one was a C-section. The second one was a natural birth. But um, it wasn't like even Dylan being a son. Somehow I, I robbed myself of that moment of knowing that first son in my hands because I already knew that it was a boy. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I never really thought about it that way. That's something, that's... something to consider if you go for the, yeah, the family is. of it's five. Really... Yeah, Although you yeah. don't, you still have that. You don't have one of everything aspect yet, though. That's true. But you can roll the dice in Vegas. I'm not sure if you're a gambler, but <laughs> if you're, I mean, you got a 50, 50, one in two chance of getting it in That's there. That's a true story. I mean, technically, I think it's a fifty-one forty-nine chance somewhere around there, but uh, uh, it does seem like a fifty-fifty chance with with it being one boy, one girl. But so, as your son started being raised, how did you start to define your role as a as a father to your boys when you're in your head, like? when you thought of the responsibility that you carried. And I can imagine you've thought about this, I think, because the way that you've, if you've been thinking about it since you were 13, you were recognizing what the role of dad meant. And you probably had a very solid dad to help give that example. So unpack a little bit what you see your role as a dad is to your boys. Um, my role I see is to uh, raise sons that are by far better men than I could ever be. Um, and it's a conversation I've already had with, with a kindergartner, right? Which the amount that he can understand obviously is pretty yeah. small, but I'm explaining to him, Hey buddy, you know, uh, what daddy, why do you want me to do that? Well, buddy, I'm, I'm trying to teach you to be a better man than me. Um, when you grow up, I want you to be a better man than me. And he literally just, no daddy, I don't want to be a better man than you. <laughs> and just like hugged me and started crying. I was like, buddy, that's a really good thing. Every dad should want their sons to be better men than them. Yeah. Um, and you know, like my whole life obviously changed. I, I always knew I wanted kids, but until you have them, 
you don't have them, right? So there's no, mm-hmm. there's, there is no life-changing experience until it's all just what happens. Hallmark movies make you want to believe about. Oh, completely. Stuff. Right. Yeah. I mean, um, and some of it is true. Some of this Hallmark stuff is true, but you know, at the same point, uh, it, I mean, there's a lot of terrible things that happen when you're a dad, yeah. you know, That's, and there's a lot of terrible things that you're responsible to make sure never happen. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You know, but so I, I, my mindset started to shift. Um, I started to understand, all right, well now I'm not only am I taking care of a wife, I'm taking care of a son. Right. Um, and I'm also a Christian. So I have to look at, you know, how does the Bible want me to raise this child? What should I be doing? You know, what kind of church should I be raising him in? What kind of, uh, things should I be saying to him? You know, but do we have things in the house that are supportive of all of this? Am I, um, am I representing my life the way I want his life to, to, you know, as that example for him? Um, and it really, everything started coming into play. Like I just had to overthink everything and just kind of, okay, well, what about this? Well, all right, well, if we talk to him about, um, you know, oh, those little lies that we give kids, no big deal. We're just trying to help mold them. And I was like, no, I, I don't want to do that because I don't want to raise my child um, to think that it's okay to just have these little lies because they're no big deal. Like, no, I'm going to tell you the truth, bud. Like this, um, sometimes we just have to do things because uh, it's life and that's what it is. And I wish I could think of it a quick example off the top of my head, but you know, um, there's been multiple times where I just have to, you know, my wife and I have to discuss and say, Hey, this is where it's at. And making sure that the two of us are on the same page before we talk to him, before we talk to them now and say, Hey, you know, mommy and daddy, this is what we say. This is what we're doing. This is where we're at. We're a, a, a one team going through this. Um, and I think we've done a really good job of doing that. And, uh, I, I think the only way that we have is because we started really early. My mindset was already there to be a dad. And now it's like, all right, well, what does it take to be a dad? And I started, I'm an, uh, I analyze everything. So I analyze the process of what is it going to take to be a dad? And that's constantly in analysis and constantly in flux. And, you know, well, what about this? And what about that? And, you know, how do me how and do you are going to be great situations? friends? <laughs> it's, it, and I love it, right? I really love it. I mean, I, I invest in apartment buildings and I analyze apartments, right? Because that's, that's my job is I like to analyze. So um, my son is my little apartment that I have in my house. How am I going to analyze this thing to get the best return on investment that I possibly can? Mm-hmm. Um, and I want him to be the best he can possibly be. So, um, if that means that I've got to suck it up sometimes and do stuff I don't want to do, well, guess what? We're dads. So that's what we do. Like that's what it is. Was there an area that you started looking at that you realized that you had to change when you became a dad that you, you didn't have it in check? Uh, oh, I know there was multiple things that I, I didn't and still don't have in check. Um, I think that, so one thing for sure, um, would be like spanking, right? That was one thing that, um, I don't necessarily have an issue with it as long as it's used properly. Cause there is, there is abuse, um, mm-hmm. and, uh, abuse really upsets me. Um, uh, so it was for me, I had to sit there and go, all right, well, I understand spanking. I understand the concept. I understand how we can work this. Um, and then I did it one time and I about fell apart. Um, he was having a hard time. I, I think he was, he was either two or three, uh, but he was having a hard time controlling his emotions and he just started smacking his mom. And I, uh, I, I spanked him on his bottom and told him that is unacceptable. And then of course he, he cried. And I thought to myself, you hypocrite, like you just did exactly the, to him what you are telling him not to do to his mother. 
Mm-hmm. Like he doesn't know the difference. He can't see it. Like what yep. is wrong with you? He has no idea. The conflict that you introduced into that moment for yeah. him. Yeah. And like, I literally fell apart. I started crying. I didn't know. Like I, I talked to my wife about it. I was like, I don't know what to do. Like that. Like I cannot do that. I can't, I cannot do it. Like I'm, I'm not going to do it. Like, and there's still conflict with that sometimes because there's, there are things that they do that you're like, well, this is one of those things that a spanking probably makes sense for, you know what I mean? And then I have to go, no, it like, I, I have to be like, I don't want there to be that conflict in his brain the way there's a conflict in my brain. Mm-hmm. So I, I can handle the conflict because I'm an adult that can process these feelings and understandings. And yep. I have to impose that understanding to him. And it's still a constant battle. Um, not that I'm running around going, I just want to smack my kid, right? No, but I mean, there's other things in life that, that happen with kids and you're just like, you know, this, this sucks and I don't know how to deal with this, you know, like, uh, and it's, it's when your bucket gets empty and you're scraping the bottom for even energy oh, yeah. to deal with whatever is currently going on. And the one thing that, so there's been a few times where it's happened for me and usually where it happens the most is when they're arbitrarily just laughing to death about something, but in a bad way. So like you're trying to punish them and they just consistently find it funny. And it's like the opposite of what you're trying to do. You're trying to like introduce sadness to them so that they uh-huh. would calm down and reflect. But in the other way, they're just finding it's funny. And you almost like this, the, the spanking is almost like a knee jerk to smack them back to the other side of the spectrum. Um, and what I have, have done it, the one thing that always helps me walk through it, because I do have the same guilt that it, you were like, you do it. And then it's like, oh, man, um, that is you at the end of the night. Uh, depending on their age two, they might not remember, but if, if it happened at like four or five, I always apologize for, so for anything that I d- reacted and didn't do right, that apology at the end of the night is almost more powerful than my mistake, because then that says that you can make mistakes as a person, but reflecting on them and asking for an apology or a forgiveness is just as powerful of a lesson for a kid to learn as it is to learn not to hit. Yeah. I, I try to do the same exact thing. Like, uh, I remember one time vividly, uh, my son was sitting on my lap. I was trying to talk to him about something. He just kept with this toy. And I said, you need to leave the toy alone. We're talking right now. And he kept bouncing the toy off my knee and I grabbed it and just threw it over on the side. Um, after how many times do we tell our kids not to throw things in the house? And mm-hmm. then I take his toy and toss it over to the side and say, no, daddy told you to stop playing with the toy. Um, and then right that second, the second it came out of my mouth, I was like, again, you hypocrite. Like, what are you doing? So we finished that conversation that we needed to have. And I said, Hey, bud, um, daddy is very sorry. I should not have thrown your toy. Uh, I'm sorry. I did not control my emotions the way I tell you that you need to control your emotions. And that's something daddy shouldn't have done. Um, and he gives me this big old hug and a kiss on my cheek. And, um, and one thing I always try to do when I'm talking to him is, and now it's become such a habit and he's getting bigger. So it's a little harder, but I like to bend down to his level. Right. Um, so I bend down to his level. Um, and when he was a little bit smaller, he'd always sit on my knee and we'd have a talk. Right. Um, and I just say, Hey bud, let's talk about it. Um, because I don't want him looking up and feeling that, that fear of looking up at dad, you know what? Like, I just want to eye to eye, let's chat about it. Um, and he'll come and sit on my knee. And now when he's uh, a little bit bigger, he'll come and sit on my knee and about knock me over. And like, I don't have that balance anymore the way I did. But, uh, and I felt that that, that connection bending down and that eye to eye has made life so much easier for both of us. And I'm able to just look at him and be like, Hey buddy, we could stop crying right now. Let's, let's just talk about what happened. We move forward. Um, 
And, you know, I, I've had a lot of life experience that has helped me learn how to control my emotions and learn how to control things. Doesn't mean that I'm perfect by any means. Um, but we all go through things in life, especially military folks go through things in life that um, people will use to say that that's why they, uh, why they don't have patience or why they don't have anything. But really, if we flip the script on it and say, this is, this is why I can have patience. This is the reason, like, you know, we, we have experiences that we've gone through, even if it's just Air Force basic training, right? Um, which of all the branches, everybody gives the Air Force a hard time, right? But even if it's just Air Force basic training, you're learning how to cope with situations you've never dealt with. You're learning how to uh, shut up in color. You're learning how to face adversity. You're learning how to um, uh, control what's happening around you as best you can. And then all of a sudden, later on, we turn these, these things into... Um, well, you know, I'm just tired of dealing with all of this. Like it's all just adds up. Well, yeah, it does. But use all of that stuff that helps you have that patience again, helps you have that understanding, helps you to be able to con- help control the things that are going on around you. Um, and I, it helps to be able to think of that, think through those things and have that mindset shift with kids because they're going to put you through things that you never thought you were going to go through. Um, and it, the other day I was supposed to get on a call with, uh, with one of my partners and, um, I was like, hey, man, I'm totally going to be late. It was just my wife was gone on a trip, and it was just me and the two boys, and neither one of them were uh, happy with anything that was happening. There was just screaming in the house, and I just said, you know what? I'm just going to cook dinner. They're both fine. Neither one of them are actually hurting. I'm just going to cook dinner, and we'll be fine. And what do you know? Just like normal men, you put food in their belly, and they're happier again, right? So mm-hmm. uh, I just had to, hey, these, this is life. This life sucks. One is running around the house crying. The other one is in a bouncer, just freaking out. That's okay. I have to sit here and and learn to suck it up. I'm not sure which thing to highlight there. You dropped like four <laughs> or five bombs there. Uh, the last one reminded me just a week ago, I had a Dante's Inferno night. My wife was uh, out with some friend. The kids were just melting down. We had problems, everything just from behavior to my youngest was just super frustrated that her underwear were too big. And she had to find the small ones and she was going to burn the house down if she wasn't going to find smaller underwear. It was literally everybody was crazy. And eventually I got to the point we were doing bedtime talk and I just closed the door and locked the two girls out and they were screaming in the hallway. And I was just sitting there with Dylan and I was like, they're going to be fine out there. They won't kill each other. They'll get their time. But at the end of the night, it was all back to normal and it was back to a, a quiet night. And I like what you said about the using the experiences of... And, this is what I think military dads leave on the table so much that we have so much life happen to us and to reframe it to happen for us that we have so many experiences. We have an accelerated life within four years that most people don't even live within their entire lifetime. And that's just a big giant craftsman toolbox of wrenches and special Mm -hmm. sockets that you don't know what they're used for, but when you know you need it, you'll know you have it. And that's what we have the ability to, to help gift our kids to, to live a so much richer life with that toolbox. Even if you had the most traumatic PTSD incident in battle, all of those things are life lessons that if you retool it and just put it away in the toolbox for that day, there's going to be a moment where you're going to be able to teach your kids something about what happened and it's going to give it purpose. And then you're going to be like, man, what would I have done without that experience of something happening? And It's my biggest epiphany with this podcast has been as veterans, we get hung up on the legacy of our service instead of the legacy of our family. And it's that toolbox that really helps create and craft that legacy in a way that no other dad can do it. And I'm convinced 
that military dads, we have the best chance to make the biggest dent in the universe with our kids because of what we've experienced. I mean, it's just uncomparable to the amount of life that someone in the military experiences in just four years, if, even if 20, if you did 20. There, and we just get hung up on that service. And I want to highlight one last thing that I think is almost a, a secret weapon of a, a nuke for parenting is bending down to their level. Because when you're at your level, you're threatening and you're very intimidating and they're going to be very timid in how they respond in a fearful way. I can't tell you how many situations I've diffused when just getting down there and like rubbing their back and just kind of holding them while they cry to let them process whatever they're feeling. Like that can be, if that's one thing that you pick out of this podcast, just go and try it because if you've never tried it, it is literally a game changer. Just keep doing it and you'll start to see those, those benefits. And I just, I wish there was like, that was, there was like one thing the hospital piece of advice gave you as a dad, because there's no good book, but man, that one piece of advice, just always be at their level, no matter what age they are. Um, even if they're a teenager where you're not going to bend down, but mentally go to their level. You can take the same analogy to, I've heard um, it said that like, as adults, we often tell our teenagers that these aren't real world problems. You're, they're, these people that you don't care about or these people you care about aren't going to matter in four years. But if you turn it around, this is their entire world. Mm-hmm. But you telling them it doesn't matter, it just like invalidates who they are and yeah. they almost get lost in who they are versus like trying to empathize what it's really like for them to have their entire world shattering for whatever first world reason. Um, that, that analogy of getting down to the level, no matter what age they are, that is some brilliant advice that I've, I've really used. And I'm, it's, I'm glad you mentioned it because every dad needs to hear that advice. You know, I, uh, I mentioned earlier that, that I'm a Christian. One of the guys I listen to a lot is Mark Driscoll. Um, so Mark Driscoll is a pastor, um, used to be at a church up in, uh, uh, Washington. Now I think he's in Arizona or something, but, um, uh, I was listening to one of his, uh, is a podcast or a book or something like that. And I heard it on there and it was before, um, uh, Adam was even able to talk any, anything. And I was, uh, again, constantly analyzing, constantly trying to learn. So I was always trying to pick out these different things that I can do. And I was like, man, like he talked about the psychology behind getting down to their level and all the different things. And I was like, man, that makes so much sense. And then even as a teenager, right. Um, standing face to face can be threatening to a teenager. So having that seat just at the table, right. Let's just sit at the dinner table and chat about it. Let's go sit on the couch and chat about it. Cause that's, that's in a way getting you both on the same level, right? It's not an aggressive posture. It's not a, it's, there's no tones involved, especially when dealing with boys. Um, you know, it makes a lot of sense with dealing with girls, right? Don't get me wrong. But when you're, when you get into those teenage years, not that I'm there yet. So this is, you know, obviously just based off of my own research, not my own experience, own, right? It, it's but, your own theory. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, and being a prior teenage boy, there's testosterone there that you're not expecting to come out. Right. Um, and then all of a sudden it does. And you're like, well, oh, man, like that's, uh, that was a whole lot of testosterone that just came out there. And you're like, well, if we're, if we're sitting down on the couch, we're sitting down at the table, that's getting back uh, the same thing as my, with my, my kiddo. Now I'm getting at their level, getting myself there. Let's have this chat. Let's get through these problems. Um, and I, I think that what you mentioned there is, is remembering that, uh, the monsters that your child has in the closet right now are very real to that child. Just as much as getting in that argument and losing their best friend in junior high or high school, it's very real to that child. And 
dismissing it is the same as dismissing the child, you know, um, which is why it, I'll talk through my, my sons like, all right, so, um, you know, I'm afraid of the dark. No, you're not, buddy. Why, why do you think we're afraid of the dark? And just saying, no, you're not is already setting the stage Invalidating for a, a what bad they're thing, right? So I try to change it to be like, well, why are we afraid of the dark, bud? And then it walks through it. Like, well, what's in the dark? Uh, well, well, you know, the bed and this and that. I said, all right, what's in the light? And they'll describe it all. And then I'm like, all right, so if I shut the light off, it's the same stuff in here. And, you know, helping him to walk through this process of the, the dark is not the, nothing to be afraid of. Um, and that, that goes to the other thing that, I, you know, what, what do I need to work on? Well, I need to always work on that psychology of a kid because I don't, I don't, it's been many, many moons since I was a kindergartner. So, you know, I, uh, not, not that I would ever remember being a kindergartner that much, uh, to the point of being able to understand what he's thinking, but, um, I'm constantly trying to put myself in his brain to figure out what can I say? What am I doing that is going to harm or help this child? And how can I continue to make him a better man than me? How old are you, Adam? Uh, 34. 34. So I'm 35. And an easy way that I explain this to my daughter, who's seven, I have to remind her of this. And I was like, you know how you're trying to figure out how to be seven? And she's like, yeah. Well, I'm still trying to figure out how to be 35. That we're both imperfect people trying to figure out imperfect mm-hmm. worlds. And that's often what you need to remember when you're going through that. Like, they're still trying to figure out how to be seven, just like you're trying to figure out how to be 34. And there's like just some like equal playing ground. You're both at the same disadvantage. You don't know how to live tomorrow because you've never lived that age before. And it's, you always just have to keep going. You're just at different uh, stages of the game. But have you ever, one thing I was, you reminded me of, I just started this book, so I can't give a full review, but I think that you would like it being an analytical guy. Have you ever uh, read the book, Never Split the Difference? Oh, I love that book. I just got started on it. I think I'm going to love love that book. Yeah. Uh, it is a, I could see it in your mind. I was like, this guy, I feel like he's read like FBI negotiations with kids yes, because they kind of talk about that of like how you frame your question to get them to answer in a way that's proactive for them, not just you. Yeah. And, and negotiations happen everywhere. Like in the book, he's obviously talking about a bunch of hostage negotiations with terrorist groups, but he also mentions that you're negotiating with your kids all the time. Right? Yeah. And sometimes it feels you're like you're negotiating, negotiating with, 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 with terrorists oh when, you're, when you're talking yeah, to kids. There's, <laughs> there's a hostage negotiation somewhere in that whole mix, right? Yeah. Uh, even if it's my sleep is the hostage, I don't know, but, um, you know, it, or if it's, you're cleaning uh, up your toys, you're like, who's, who's, who's the parent here? <laughs> <laughs> it's, but yeah, great book. Um, and it, uh, you can actually use those some of those tools as uh, as a parent to get your kid to do things. It's crazy. So one thing we talk about in a lot of the podcast, and I'm going to take a guess based on where your mindset is, that you've surrounded yourself with a community of men to not just isolate yourself in the world, but to do life with. Is that a true statement? Uh, yes, I. Uh, First off, I'm in active duty passive income. The team that I'm a part of there is a bunch of dudes. And uh, we have uh, women on the team who literally help run the ship. If it wasn't for them, uh, we would, who knows where we would be? Because they make, they just like the household, uh, my wife makes this household run. I just act like I'm the leader of it. Um, you know, uh, we have magically surrounded the, the five of us guys with fantastic team um, that has really taken care of us. But all five of us, we all uh, have or look forward to uh, having families. We're all married. Um, we all uh, have some of the same goals and aspirations. We all want more for our life than we have. Um, and 
I'm going to church constantly. I mean, I just moved, so I'm, I'm finding a new church um, to to plug myself into to find other uh, um, Christian men to stay next to and follow and understand from. And I think that is a extremely important thing is to have a good group of solid men, not the the men who uh, or the boys who we went out drinking with, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there's a big difference between uh, uh, Private Snuffy, who you were drinking with, you know, ten years ago, and um, John, who's really going to help you out with a problem. There's there's usually a large difference. Um, so finding the good solid men to to associate with and have conversations with, I think, is huge. One of the very first quotes that stuck with me was, "I'm sure you've heard of it. You're the average of the five closest people in your oh, life," yeah. and I can easily tell that your average pushes you to dream bigger for your life, like the men that you're surrounded with probably have a never settle mindset. And a lot of men today have a subtle mindset that this is my reality, that it's a very fixed reality. And then I have little control over changing my future, but you surround yourself with people that invalidate that reality every day to push yourself to to dream bigger. And um, what I say in the podcast a lot is to give yourself a wider view of the American dream of what's possible. And that's what your passive income allows you to do. It allows you to build a, a freedom of your own life. And, and it's, it's sad, but true at the same time that the American dream is filled with car payments and student loans and a mortgage that you can't afford and a okay. job you can't, you hate. And at the same time, we have, you, you, we have freedom that somehow you ended up with that slave of money. On the other side, you're creating a life of freedom that that freedom allows you to have almost limitless choices and to create a life that is without boundaries. It's really whatever your mind can dream up. You truly could snap your fingers and that potential could come true. So when you think of the word freedom, what comes to your mind as far as what you're aiming for when you think of that word? Well, there was a lot there. Um, I know how I felt when you gave your little wheel there. (laughs) So uh, freedom means more, and obviously this is an individual thing, but, um, we're targeting, you know, obviously the podcast targeting military folks, right? And we have a mindset on what freedom is based off of what our experiences have been in the military and why we joined the military because uh, we're fighting for freedom, right? That's that's the goal of the military members to fight for freedom. So um, you either fought or are fighting if you're a military person going through this. So um, freedom is for for the military mindset is oftentimes so that we could do what we need to do in America and be, you know, uh, the land of the free home of the brave to be able to have the freedom to do whatever we want. But yet a lot of the military doesn't do whatever we want, right? We do what you said. We get stuck in our thing. Well, I can't because the military says this, or I can't because I don't have the money for this, or I can't because, and we always find the reasons that we, I can't. Um, and I'm going to use an analogy here that I actually just recently heard that I really like is all of those I can'ts, um, and I'm kind of paraphrasing how the analogy works, I'm creating it my own here. All of those I can'ts to me are like uh, big rocks or logs in a river. And what we need to be is be the river. The river doesn't care what those rocks are. They find a way around it. The river doesn't care the logs that are sitting in there. They find a way around it. And the river is constantly going to flow. If, if the river gets some rain, it literally may take cars away. We all have the ability to take cars away. All right. Instead of getting stuck in a rut and just saying, nope, there's a car in my way. I can't move it. We have the ability 
to bring folks around us who help bring enough rain to push these cars out of the way, to not care about the rocks in the river, to not care about uh, the tree that fell down in front of it. We say, yep, that's a tree in front of us, but I'm getting through it. I'm making it around. Um, and to me, I want the freedom of being the river. That no matter what comes at me, I'm able to get around it. Um, and that that is something that money can't buy. That's something that only your mental freedom can help you buy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you have the mental freedom to be that river and flow through no matter what is going on, make it around any obstacle that's in its way, and make it through the other side to to get to the ocean, right? Of, of the actual freedom that we all want is to be able to be free and do whatever it is we want. If we want to go on vacation with our family on summer vacation, we can. If I want to put my kid in the best private school in the country, I'm gonna. If I want to uh, buy my own private jet because I like to fly, well, I'm going to do that too, right? So obviously some of those are, are, are drastic dreams, but we can make them a reality because we allow ourselves to be around those five people who help build us up and get us there instead of those five people who bring us back to the bar again, those five people um, who tell us that, oh, well, you know, it's, it's just good enough. You need that, you know, at, at least that $20 an hour job. It's those five people that-, that It's the safe down. route. Yeah, you've taken the safe route, you know, get yourself this, get yourself that, make sure you have your job security, blah, blah, blah. That's a mental barrier that a lot of people fall into. And I want the freedom of that river flowing through in my brain as well as in my finances. Uh, and I work hard for it. I put myself around people who work hard for it to make sure that no matter what, we're not failing. It's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. And that it's never really failing as if as long as you have someone to help pick you back up. And and if you do fail, um, your your analogy really reminded me of the Dave Ramsey analogy that if your budget doesn't have any room for any additional savings or to to kill your debt. He describes, well, you put a piece of TNT into the log jam in the river back in the day when the logs weren't flowing down and you blew up the logs and the logs would start flowing again. Mm-hmm. And same thing, like if you're if the water is literally damming up in your river, a piece of TNT sometimes is the best way to to reinvigorate and to to start it over again. There's a, you ever watch Suits on yeah. USA? I always love how Harvey Specter, he said it like early beginning uh, when... Um, Mike came in and he's like, I got, I'm out of my, my deck doesn't have any, I don't have any more hand in my deck. And he's like, when the cards on the table, aren't what you want, here's what you do. You flip the table and you start over. Like you just throw the rule book out there and you start over. And like, mm-hmm. it's the same kind of idea. Like if you don't like the rule book that you're playing life by, just flip the table and rewrite it. Like, yeah. and Dave Ramsey talks about the biggest lesson he learned when he hit bottom after losing all of his millions and having those banknotes recalled is he learned that there was a bottom. And all he had to do was stand back up. And now he's got a dynasty almost. He's, I would say he's at dynasty I'd level right he's now. He's got it. Yeah. Yeah. And you, uh, was it uh, Charlie? Uh, what was her name? Uh, Charlinda? Uh, was at the MICDC? She's like, I know. I think it was Charlinda. Um, Air Force veteran. Um, but she, she spoke on the stage. She says, and you know what? Even if I hit bottom, I know my bottom has a trampoline. Yes, because that was Charlene. As, yep. As long as you can bounce back up, and I tell my son all the time, um, he's daddy. I couldn't do. I, daddy, I didn't do that. Uh, I didn't do it right. I said, well, did we fail? He said, yes. And I said, okay. What did you learn? So I don't care if you fail. You could fail a hundred times. I said, as long as you learn and you fail forward, then I want you to fail as much as you can, because we have this this concept in our brain that failure is just a, like a terrible thing, and it's it's bred into us from the beginning, right? From school all the way through, failure is terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
I disagree. You literally get labeled right. as an F for a failure. And, yeah. And right. As parents punish them <laughs> for I, learning and something I, they're not good at generally sometimes maybe. Now, there are some times that uh, uh, you need to be punished for failure, right? Yep. Because sometimes you're doing it out of anger. Sometimes you're doing it out of uh, you're giving up. Um, and we just have to have that conversation. We're like, All right. Well, you failed. That's okay. Right? You have a skinned knee. Did you bounce up? All right. How uh, did you fail forward? Did you learn something? Um, so the next time, and it, uh, I had I had a, a bunch of my partners here from the ADPI team at my house. Um, we had a, like just a ADPI get together. Like, hey, let's chat about uh, the forward business and blah blah blah. And um, they they were able to see me be in dad mode, and I am obsessed with being a dad. It is by far like the favorite thing I've ever done in my life. Um, it's the best title I've ever had. It's the, like any, everything about it I love because I'm literally forming a hopefully a future better than me, right? Or mm-hmm. it, he will be, not a hopefully. He is going to be a future better than me. Um, or a mini me that you just love hanging out with. Oh, exactly, right? And that's perfectly <laughs> fine too, right? That's um, the best case is you're 65 years old and you, uh, just, you create a son that you, can't, you just love going fishing with yeah. and that's like your favorite day. And he, uh, so I, I sit there and I watch him and I'm like, all right, so if he, if he says something or he does something, I'll piece I'll break it apart for him into, into little, you know, kindergarten size pieces. So, all right, well, this is, you, you know, um, you did this. Did you see how that affected the next thing you did? And I try to break it apart and the guys are giving me a hard time all the time. They're like, dude, this kid's going to be like the most analytical kindergartner in the world. And I'm like, but he's thinking through his problems. He's thinking through this stuff. And, <laughs> you know, maybe he's not. Right. Maybe he's not, but that's my goal is that he actually thinks through these well, you things. You got to put in the reps for something to be, get better. Yeah. That's a big like, thing that I've learned. If even I'm with not this sowing podcast. the seeds, if I'm not sowing the seeds, then I'm never going to get to harvest. Right. So he's never going to get to harvest. If we're not sowing the seeds now. So uh, quote that you would love is uh, legacy is planting seeds in a garden. You never get to see grow. Yeah. Yeah. I do love that. Yeah. That's good. Because um, there's the well, thought I really hope I get to every day that you never know what is, what's going to work and what's not going to work or yeah. at what moment or what age does it click that you're like, or when you see your daughter and you're like, that just clicked. <laughs> I get it now. Yep. Uh, I get it. Uh, I like what you said about failure. And I think for a lot of even adults that failure goes back to our monkey brain that 3000 years ago, our mind kept us safe from lions, tigers, and bears. And the fear of death almost kept us safe and that mechanism inside our brain kept us safe from being alive. But now we don't have lions and tigers and bears, but everything in life is compared to lions and tigers and bears. Mm -hmm. And so, so many things that actually have no repercussions often are the things we stop doing because our brain says we like where we are. We're nice and warm and comfy. Even if we're miserable, we're warm and comfy and it keeps us safe, but also normal, but then also just not ambitious. We just stay and men need to grow. We need that, um, that inner desire to grow, but our monkey brain just keeps us still. And so the last thing, and I, I think for me, I, fear was a huge thing holding me back for most of my life. Um, and now I'm to the point where uh, a friend of mine gave me this that I almost repeat off too, too often now, but starve your fear. That when you mm-hmm. feel that fear, like try to starve it, try to move past it and one of my first colloisms was if you're at the wall of fear, find a door and walk through because your destiny could be on the other side because, and I actually measure when I should do something by the more that it scares me. So the more something scares me, generally there's more something amazing on the other side that my brain's trying to keep me safe from. So as long as I'm not going to die from it and it's super scary, I generally run towards it 
because that usually means that that's something that my brain is protecting me from that I really need to do and to get outside my comfort zone. And I try to integrate that with my, my daughter as well of trying to do new things and try new things and get past that fear because she's an emotional seven-year-old. So everything becomes an emotional basket case mm-hmm. for her, no matter what it is. So just trying to get her through that can be a battle, but all we can do as dad is try and have conversations and being aware of it is almost just the first step and keep talking about it and see what sticks, see what doesn't stick and keep R- keep the R and D lab open and keep figuring it out. Absolutely. And you have to have the right people to talk to it about too, right? Um, yeah. Because if you're staying in an echo chamber of people who all have the same mindset as you, you're going to stay in that same rut and you're never going to, you're never going to get past that. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, if you're uh, blessed to still be with, you know, your spouse, learning to have those conversations with your spouse, because that's the partner you really need to be on the same level with in raising a child. Um, so having that conversation, sitting down and understanding and building off of each other and, um, you know, hey, we don't, we're not in agreement on this. Let's let's find outside counsel to figure out how the, how this works. You know, that doesn't mean marriage counseling. I mean, it might for some people, I don't know. But, um, you know, sometimes you just need to say, hey, let me let me ask uh, who's who's who are the best parents we know? Uh, that might be your own parents. That might be um, your buddy, your buddy, because you see how amazing he is. Who's the best parents I know? Let me, let's call them and have this conversation with them. And, you know, if you're going to the best parents, you know, then that's probably in that list of those five people, right. That you want to be around when it comes to parenting. Right. Um, so, uh, I think that that's a critical part is being able to ask those questions. Like I'll, I'll call my mom still without any, any problems at all. Uh, that doesn't mean I'm going to listen to everything she says. It doesn't mean that I'm going to take all of the advice, but it's good to have that understanding of, Hey mom, like when you went through these situations with me, where, where did you end up? How did that work? Can you describe some of that to me? Um, and listen to the advice, figure it out, analyze it, and then understand what, what you need to apply in your situation. So it's kind of like a good analogy would be a financial advisor. So there's two mm-hmm. modes for financial advisors. There's one where you give them your money and then somehow you can just simply blame them when they lose it. And they almost always do because it's not their money. Or you can ask them questions about how money works, what investments, what they would do maybe. And then you make your own choices with that information. And then you're more likely to make a better choice and be more accountable to that choice, make sure it happens. Then if you just completely, it's like outsourcing parenting to teachers as well, that oh, you can't just nuts. let it go to your teachers to figure out how to raise your kids. You, you can maybe take their advice, but it's still on you to make a good adult, not your, not mm-hmm. your teacher or not their you teacher. Know, you mentioned something there that it, uh, I, I really like that. Uh, and now I'm losing it. I don't know what just happened to my brain. Um, it happens to me often. <laughs> I tell you what, I must be having kids, you know, uh, and, and needing sleep all the time. Um, man, oh, it was totally good too. What in the heck? That's terrible. Was it about the financial uh, advisor part? Yes, it was about the financial advisor part. So, you know, it, it kind of goes back to what I was talking about too with the council, right? So, um, you get the financial advisor and the financial advisor is telling you to do all this stuff. Um, and what a lot of people don't do is say, all right, financial advisor, um, would you mind showing me your investments? Right. Let me see what you're invested in. Because if that financial advisor says, oh, well, I don't have a 401k, I don't have a IRA, I don't have you know, any of these investments. In my case, I don't have apartment buildings. Well, then why am I talking to you, right? And it goes back to the same thing that I said earlier, right? 
who is the best parent you know, right? I'm not going to go ask a non-parent how to raise a child, right? That doesn't make any sense. I need to ask a parent how to raise a child. Just like I would hope um, uh, somebody's not going to come ask me how to raise a teenager. I might be able to have some insight based off of some research and different things, right? But I don't have any teenagers yet, so I don't know, right? I, I, I don't know. I could really be a terrible father with, with teenagers. Um, so, you know, I, I, again, it goes back to the wise counsel, right? Having that counsel there that, uh, um, you know, asking those questions of that, of that financial advisor, of that good parent, uh, because you trust what they're saying because they've been there and they do it. Mm-hmm. We didn't talk about it much, um, but the one thing that's really created a network for me to have better dads now is working the muscle of talking to people. I was, every person I would talk to was a high school girl that was going to reject me and say no. And until I started just like saying to heck with it and talking to dads at the park, I really just was super uncomfortable talking to dads. So you have to be uncomfortable about talking to other people that have similar relationships. And for me, dads at the park was super easy because if you're a dad at the park, you already have some commonality to talk Mm -hmm. about because you're a little bit better dad than maybe the dad that just sits and watches football on on Sundays versus the the dad that's at the park on Sunday. And like that really helped me get that network and why I, I led to that community because without that community and without that network, it's super lonely and you're going to have those thoughts where you spank and you feel like a failure and there's nobody there to invalidate it, to breathe life into you that you're a good dad. And if you don't have a kid that's smart enough to pause for a second and say, Hey daddy, I love you. Thanks for being my dad. You're going to beat yourself down. And the echo chamber you mentioned, this is why I'm convinced that like veterans take their own life because that echo chamber voices never get canceled out by someone saying something or they never put words to those thoughts so that they just get louder and louder. And they always come to one conclusion that their family is better without them. When the moment you start talking about whatever you're thinking about, or like I was saying, the goal with every podcast is just to hear that one thought that says like, man, that guy just said what I was thinking. Maybe I'm not alone. And that little bit of crack starts to move a dad from feeling like he's super alone to this voice inside my head's completely got it wrong. And I just need to start moving forward and being the best dad I can be. And so Adam, as every dad's school. Yes. As we wrap up the interview, you've dropped too many pieces of advice to sum it up. But if I could challenge you to what's one piece of advice you want to leave for other military dads out there, one piece of wisdom that you've learned with uh, having kids five years on this earth. Oh boy. Um, I, if you can't, if you can't tell, I like to talk, right? So it's tough for me to just come up with one thing and say one thing and be done with it. Um, there is always tomorrow, right? You will never be a perfect dad. The things you did today can always be improved upon. And there's always time tomorrow. But at the same point, there's no better time than today, right? So always be trying to do something now, but don't think that just because you screwed it up now, that tomorrow's not going to come, right? Fix what you can, focus on what you can, uh, reach out to somebody, but remember that you're, you're, you're raising a child. This takes years to do, um, 18 years and hopefully they're out of the house and doing their thing, whether it's college, whether it's military, whether it's whatever it is they choose to do. Um, but come, come back tomorrow. And a lot of people want to say, and and I get it right. Tomorrow's not promised. And it's not, there's no such thing as tomorrow being promised, 
Um, but if you feel like a failure today, you can start new, right? You don't have to. Um, I had a uh, an image that I posted on Facebook, which I'm almost never on, but um, there's a picture of this uh, dad with this bag over his shoulder. And it had, uh, I forgot the words on it, but we'll say like life experiences or something or, or uh, um, troubles. I think it was some, something along those lines. And his kid, um, or what I am perceiving to be his child, walks up and be like, you know, this this would be a lot easier if you just let all that go. Um, and they're like walking up a hill or something, right? This would be a lot easier if you just let all that go, right? Just because you screwed it up now doesn't mean you have to carry it to tomorrow. Just because you screwed it up now doesn't mean you have to carry it to, to one minute from now. You can stop. You can say, you know what? I screwed that up. I can fix it. I can move forward. And I can leave that baggage there. I don't need to pick that baggage back up. And you move on to tomorrow. Um, and and be a better dad every single day. Be a better dad. And if I could put a cherry on top, no matter what you did wrong today, when you come home from work the next day, your kids will treat you as a hero that they did every day before. And we are always hard around ourselves and we never stop being the heroes to our kids, to their eyes, no matter how internally we judge what we did, whether we spanked, whether we yelled, they are extremely forgiving and they are extremely forgetful. And they always just want you to be dead and walk in the door and give them the biggest hug and just let go whatever you're holding in from the day before. Like you said, just hit restart and your kids will give you that grace that you need, but you first have to give it to yourself. If you don't let go of the baggage, they're going to find it. So just let it go. Enjoy. So we didn't talk much about active duty passive income, but if people want to know more about it, Adam, where's the best place to go find more about it? Uh, so active duty passive income. Yeah, it's, um, you can go to active duty passive income.com. You can go on Facebook, find us on there. Um, active duty passive income. You just look it up. We're a group of, uh, military veterans, service members, spouses, any military affiliated folks come on and talk about, uh, our main focus is real estate education. So um, there are too many people out there that uh, get stuck in a rut. We have too many things at our, at our hands to uh, um, fail at finances. And we, uh, we try to help folks get involved in real estate to better their life and improve their passive income. So uh, it's, pretty, uh, it's pretty exciting. We just brought 5,000 members in the Facebook group and we're, we're pretty excited to see where it's going. And it's, it's a big number to pass by. And I'll give you one more nugget that I got from Grant Cardone about real estate. And he said that real estate is the only thing he trusts to leave a legacy after he leaves. Yeah. Because long Grant after Cardone he leaves, podcast, the real estate yeah. will still, you did? Yeah. 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 We had him on our podcast. You know, it, he's also a big, big fan of, of uh, the military service members and veterans and everything. And uh, yeah, he gives out like a hundred, either free membership to his 10 X conferences, or it's like a hundred bucks or something. So he get he has uh, there's free access to his uh, some of his business courses online, uh, not the full gambit, but yeah, this last one in uh, in February down in Miami, he gave away free tickets to, and a couple of the API guys, we all went down there um, and checked it out, and then we got him on our podcast shortly thereafter, and his wife. So uh, and I really like that advice that like he, he uses real estate to protect yeah. his legacy, and that after he's gone, it's the one thing that will keep providing for him. It'll keep going for sure, and you know it. Uh, uh, it's an asset class that I absolutely love. So I look forward to bringing my kid to all the apartment buildings that I'm buying and showing them how this stuff works. So hopefully he can move into one, not your basement. 
Yeah, no kidding, right? Yeah, I'd rather. He's going to ask for a deal, Daddy. (laughs) (laughs) You know, if he wants to uh, uh, earn some money and invest in one of my apartment buildings, I'd be happy to have him as an investor in my apartment building. If he's a smart investor, he'll try to throw in, I'll mow the yard for you so you don't have to pay someone else to do it. (laughs) But will you you knock off my contract? Uh huh, exactly. You you put an extra couple bucks into the percentages for me, and I'll mow the lawn for you. Good entrepreneur. Well, Adam, I really appreciate you coming to the podcast, and I am. 300% 300% sure one of these nuggets brought a dad home tonight. And uh, I'm really glad that you came on the podcast and that we had that chance to meet at that random lunch. Yeah, thank you very much. It was uh, an absolute pleasure. Uh, again, being a dad is by far my favorite thing. Um, I uh, I research it. I love it. I enjoy it. And uh, I don't ever want to hear dads not making it home, not getting home. So um, any dad out there that ever wants to chat, I, I'm I'm more than willing to chat with just about anybody. Um, well, anybody. So Adam at activedutypassiveincome.com. You can shoot me an email. And uh, if you just want to talk about being a dad, I'm, I'd love it. So Awesome. Well, you enjoy the rest of your night and I look forward to getting this episode out there. Thanks a lot, brother. Appreciate it. That's a wrap. And thank you for listening to today's show. And I really hope you enjoyed it. The lifeblood of any new podcast are the reviews. If you haven't reviewed the podcast yet in iTunes, I would really appreciate it. And you will help us get the message out to even more military veteran dads. As John Maxwell says, if there is hope in the future, there is power in the present. Dads, it's time to come home.